You are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and as always, I am honored to be here. I am excited for this episode, and let's get right to it, because this is Thanksgiving week, and my have the year flown by. The year has flown by, and for so many of us, we are in some level of the stages of change. Right, We are clearly past pre-contemplation, or you wouldn't necessarily be listening to this show. I don't know that for sure, but pretty much pre-contemplation thinks that we're good to go. Nothing needs to change. For those of us that are still in the contemplation stage or the planning stage, then you might be listening to this show seeking out ways to begin to step into sobriety or make a massive change in your life because this isn't just a sobriety show or a recovery show. This is a life coaching show. This is discussing with you ways of making massive changes throughout your entire life, whether it's in one of your three spheres, career, self, relationship, or in one of your pillars of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual these 12 different quadrants make up your mansion of life. This is this is your room. This is your inside your head. You have got your career physical, your career emotional, your career mental, your career spiritual. You've got your self physical, self emotional, self mental, self spiritual, and you've got your relationship physical, your relationship emotional, your relationship mental and your relationship spiritual. And these create the little McMansion. And this McMansion's in your head because that's where you spend 99% of your life is there's that little chattering voice, you know, like the untethered soul talks about that little annoying roommate who never shuts up. And so as you're moving through these days, these weeks, these years, and this voice inside of your head is manipulating you in ways that you do not desire or influencing you in ways that you do desire, right? And manipulation and influence can really be sort of replace one another because it's all about the energy you have behind it. Manipulating and influencing something is all really about the energy. If you're looking to, you know, take advantage of somebody, it can be seen as manipulation. If you're looking to benefit somebody, it could be seen as influence. But, you know, you might say, I love you to somebody in hopes that you can get them to say, I love you back. And is that necessary manipulation or influence? Mm. Oh, the psychology of that one. And there's so many different topics that I would love to cover as we start to maneuver into the back end of this year. And there's been some amazing books that I'm going to begin to introduce to you all as we move into that baton passing. And if you've listened to this show for a long period of time, you know that I talk about 2024, the next year, beginning December 1st, and on February 1st, the old year, which in this case would be 2023 ending. So you get this 60 month, 60 month, it's a long time, that'd be five years. Uh, you get this 60-day window to begin to close up one year and to get the next year moving forward so that come January 1st, you already have momentum going into 2024. And this is all around this idea that New Year's resolutions don't work because we put an insane amount of pressure on one day. Now, certainly many people have quit drinking and quit using and done massive, massive changes on January 1st. But the studies do show, the numbers do dictate that uh, most 80% or more will not follow through on their 
New Year's resolutions. So what we want to do is just realize that any day can be our New Year's resolution. Any day can be the fresh day to start. For me, it was January 13th. For others, it may be June 15th. It can be whatever day you choose it. But as we go through the contemplating and the planning, and then we take action and we start off our decision-making process and our action-orientedness towards quitting something. And again, for you long-term listeners who might have years of sobriety under your belt now, this information still behooves you and benefits you because we're always seeking to make some kind of change in our life. We're always addicted to something. And I'm not one to utilize words that I consider to be definitives like always and never and no one and everyone because very rarely is something always or never. But that being said, is we are an addictive species. We will latch on to something that we use as a coping skill and at some point it might go past being a healthy behavior and go more into that process addiction level behavior. And for those of us who've quit substances and no longer consume things to get us high, we might tend to move forward and toward process addictions, shopping or gambling or pornography or, you know, yelling and screaming or staring at your phone or playing video games for 11 hours a day. These are the kind of process addictions where you have to do something in order to feel better. Whereas a substance use disorder was more about consuming something. To, to feel better, right? So that's why there's two different kinds of addictions. And I did just learn this in my master's class. So obviously that's pretty exciting to be able to share with you. Oh, on that note, class ended and final grades came out today and I did get my 96. So um, out of a possible 1,000 points, I got 960 of them. And I missed out on 10 points the final week. Missed three questions on the test and got one point off on my presentation or I would have gotten a 97. So um, the 20 points I lost that first week that I had that meltdown about, if you guys remember, go back and listen to that, how I maneuvered through that. I want to say that was probably about eight episodes ago because that was about eight maybe seven episodes ago because that was about seven weeks ago. Although I did miss some episodes because of school. So if you go back, I can't remember which one it was, but it would not be further than, it won't be further than eight episodes, but it could be as recent as five episodes. And anyways, the point is, got a 96, um, got a 95.5 on my last class. So I'm back to back A's and the new class starts on Thursday morning. So uh, very happy with that and uh, looking forward to the next class starting and con- continuing with this consistency and also hoping that I can figure out a better way of writing so that I don't spend, uh, you know, 32 hours writing an essay. So we're working on that. So what we're going to talk about today, let's just get straight to it because I don't want this necessarily go on for a long, long time. And this isn't necessarily the Breaking Through the Gravity series, nor is this a sober shorty. Um, I was just coming up with some ideas. And so I, I had this idea of how could we begin to start to ask ourselves, like, what is happening within our lives that... So, here, here, so here's the question I pose to myself. Let me stop stumbling on my words. Is that what if I wanted to do an episode for this show that was about taking action and not letting... Um, the past hold us back, uh, where we could discuss suffering in the, in, in the past and not letting it dictate our present, let alone our future, forgiving ourselves, changing the way we talk about ourselves. And it was through this 
and also deciding to intermingle some Maslow's hierarchy of needs and some Dilt's pyramid and some six human needs. And it's like, okay, what could I manifest with this kind of thought pattern? And so I started to do some research and I started to do some writing and I went down a couple different Wikipedia holes and certainly read way too many scholarly resources. And so these are the seven areas that I've come up with that we can begin to focus upon when we are going to step new into sobriety and recovery or make a change in our life or just have a heightened sense of emotional intelligence and awareness about ourselves. And so there's the usefulness of this episode is going to stretch well beyond just that day one of sobriety uh, or maneuvering ourselves into long-term recovery. But at the same time, of course, it's going to have a ton to do with that. I just want to make sure that for those of you who've been listening for a long time, that we're in that mindset where there's going to consistently be something that we want to shift and change about ourselves. And by following these seven guidelines, by by understanding these seven particular areas I'm getting ready to discuss, we can begin to release so much about our past because oftentimes we seek to create our future in the present moment based off of our past. But our past isn't necessarily a very strong quantifier for what we can actually achieve in the now, because that's who we were then. And you know how I feel about who we were then. We are not that version of ourselves anymore. We are who we choose to be today, and then we manifest our future from now. I came across a really cool meme. It could have been in the tribe. It could have been somewhere else. But it said that I am living my future because of the work I did yesterday. And yesterday is the day that we're, you know, it's so funny how hard we work to create the future we desire. And then when we're actually living that future that we had always thought was out there, but is now here, we often forget about all the ways that we had to work ourselves to get to this point. It just becomes our new reality. Hedonistic adaptation. We work our asses off to achieve something. We prayed for it. We begged the universe for it. And then when we get it, we get pissed off that it's here. And because it did come with stresses and it did come with struggles and it will come with anxiety, right? It's like the Jay-Z song, you got 99 problems. And sure, you know, cocaine no longer is one of them, but it doesn't mean that I don't still have 99 problems. And now I also have 99 solution opportunities because we are going to NLP the shit out of that and see it from a more positive angle. But at the same time, like money doesn't solve the world's problems. It might give us more opportunities, but with more money comes more problems. There's always going to be something. There's always going to be an issue. So these seven areas, I think, are going to be very beneficial for us as we begin to seek out changing our our lifestyles, changing our minds, uh, changing massive things in our lives. So let's get to these so this doesn't turn into a two-hour-long episode. But by the way, this is 1.30 in the afternoon. I am not shooting this at midnight. This is actually uh, in the middle of the day. So that's the first. I haven't done this with sunshine outside in a long time. So number one, uh, not letting our past sufferings dictate our present desires. I cannot stress this enough that your past is not your fault. Your trauma is not your fault, but it is up to you to do something about it, to change it to heal through it. When I first launched this show, somebody on social media wrote me that I shouldn't say that, that I shouldn't say that the your trauma is not your fault, but it is your responsibility to heal it because that could be triggering. And I didn't even respond to them because at the time I didn't know how to do it and be polite. 
Um, now, looking back on it, I've been like, okay, that is your subjective perspective, but I'm not going to mute my show because one person out there or 100 people out there find it triggering when 10,000 people could very well find it absolutely beneficial. So I'm going to say what I say, and it'll connect with you, or you'll leave. I have had plenty of listeners say, man, you know, 90% of your show, totally totally on board with. There's about that 10% where I'm like, nah, that's not for me. Great. It doesn't all have to be for you. I want the parts that work well for you to be incorporated, and the parts that don't, you can feel free to leave them behind. Just make sure... You're not, believe, you're not leaving behind powerful information simply because your beliefs have yet to uh, expand out that far. Don't hold on to your past simply because you've had that for much longer than you've had the new. Holding on to our past is one of the main reasons we got into addiction, is not healing. right? We want to be able to separate our past from the present. I want to encourage you to... View your past as a separate entity from who you currently are, right? You're fulfilling your needs uh, for personal growth, like Maslow would talk about. There's that desire for personal growth, right? And and you want to find this, and it's often going to be by utilizing the six human needs, we would say stepping into variety. The certainty is the habit. The certainty is living in the past. The past certainly is part of us. But just like, you know, I liken it to like sitcoms, Friends, I loved Friends. And sometimes they'd be carrying a story arc along. But other times, it's like there would be the episode, and then they would never reference it again. And there'd be other episodes where they could very easily reference an older episode, but they won't. And I get it. It's being written by writers in a room, and they've all got rules, and they've got standards, and they've got people telling them what to write about and not write about. But it's just funny to me how those episodes so oftentimes will just like live in their own little bubble. For the most part, most sitcoms just, it's a one-off and then they move on to the next one. Yeah, uh, shows like Friends and Good Place and Modern Family certainly carried story arcs, you know, for whole seasons. But the traditional way is to just do an episode and move on to the next. What if we could do that in our own lives? Okay, that was that episode, but now I'm in a new episode. And that old episode doesn't dictate what I'm able to do in this episode separating your past from your present. I want you to recognize growth opportunities, right? How can your past experiences be reframed as growth opportunities? Instead of it being the pain and the suffering, and this is what I do with my clients through neuro-linguistic programming, is we'll go back to some of those traumatic moments and we'll see them from various perspectives. It's called perceptual positions. where We'll move around from first to second to third person so we can experience that memory from a different angle and we can take a lesson from it. And oftentimes it's just empathy for what was going on in that other person's life, right? To understand that they didn't have any more emotional intelligence than we did and they were doing the best they could with the resources they had. But we take empathy away from a lot of these experiences and we leave the pain and the suffering and the struggle back there with that memory where it belongs, Right? We want you to grow through your past experiences, reframing them as opportunities for growth. And now we're able to link our growth mindset over to one of the six human needs of significance because significance is, is something humans desire in other people's lives. We want to be seen as significant. And when we realize that 
by changing ourselves, by taking on these huge life-altering experiences like quitting alcohol and drugs or letting go of a process addiction like gambling or porn or shopping, we can dramatically affect other people's lives in our social circle, in our familial circle, just in our world in general. And that heightens our sense of significance to those people. And humans inherently desire significance in other people's lives. And then lastly, we can begin to practice this level of mindfulness. I want you to be able to stay present and mindful of what's happening in your now, right? Diltz will talk a lot about environment, what's happening in your environment right now. Maslow will talk about self-actualization. It's in your present moment, in your current environment, that you actually can actualize. You can create this self that has only previously existed in your brain. So when you're going to uh, greatly shift your life from addiction into sobriety and recovery, it's in the now, right? That craving that you might feel, that's a past habit. That's your brain trying to get back into that old rut, into that old groove of that record. It's up to you to just lift the needle off completely or break the arm of the record player and say, no, no, in this moment, I'm going to make a different freaking choice. And I will talk about coping skills in one of the next episodes or two. But one of that, I've highly, highly pushed physical activity as the number one way to pattern interrupt yourself out of the craving. The craving is going to come. It's part of the human's brain's mechanism to go back to what it's comfortable with. Even if you are deathly uncomfortable in that comfort zone, the brain will seek to take you back there. It's up to you to pattern interrupt yourself, to break the pattern, to... to there's that cue craving response reward process happening when it comes to habits. That cue, that's the trigger. The craving, that's the opportunity to pattern interrupt yourself. Instead of craving the kratom or craving the marijuana or craving the cocaine or the liquor or whatever your addiction is, right? Now we start to crave what's on the other side of not doing that activity, of not participating in that process addiction, of not consuming that addictive substance? What can we begin to crave that that comes from not using and doing rather than the craving that comes from the using and doing? And it's in that mindfulness of being aware in our environment, getting into our physical bodies that we actualize the self that we've only dreamed of in our minds, period, point blank, period, point blank. At some point, you're just going to have to stop pissing and moaning about the way shit used to be. Oh, well, this is the, 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 I, I mean, I know, I know I spent years of my childhood helping my mom clean up shitty sheets, listening to her cry through the vent, listening to her and my dad argue about money or bills or that colostomy bag on her hip that kept opening up and spilling shit all over the house. Years. Now, am I going to keep Holding on to that is the reason why uh, I've got mommy issues or I don't know how to open up emotionally or I don't know how to be vulnerable. Certainly I could, but is that going to benefit me? It's not going to benefit me. At some point, we just have to stop acting like we don't have control over ourselves. We do. And it's going to be tough. I have clients and people in the tribe and just people who are friends and people I meet at addiction recovery centers who are going through some freaking stuff. And it's not necessarily easy, but it's not going to get any easier by going back to that substance or to that, that activity that was destroying us to begin with. It's like when I used to run half marathons, man, mile seven through 
11 sucked. But man, I knew, I knew the closer I was getting to that number 11, I was like, just pass 11 and there's only two miles left. And all of a sudden I was running faster and I was feeling happier and the music sounded better and life seemed less abysmal. I just had to power through the tough spots. So that's number one. Number one is not letting the past suffering dictate your present desires. Number two, focus or focusing, forgiving yourself and others. Man, this is a huge one. Right. First, we got to start by forgiving ourselves of of the utmost. I mean, just that is just got to be ding, 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 ding. Right. That's the Plinko board on let's make a deal or the price is right going bonkers. Right. You have to understand the power of forgiveness. All right. I want you to understand that it is essential for emotional healing and for you to be able to meet the needs of love and connection and belongingness. Right. There's a little bit of Maslow. There's a little bit of Robbins in there. Right. And I know uh, somebody the other day got pissy at me because I, I said something about Tony Robbins on social media because I guess he's done some things that uh, got him canceled. Um, just understand that we're going to talk about the psychology, the psychology and the, inf- and the influence that this particular system is that he was able to create from Maslow and Dilt's Pyramid. And we're not talking about the person. Uh, I think it's more important to utilize information that exists and less important to judge the person who may have previously shared it years ago who did something shitty today. So if anybody out there uh, feels like they're activated by me saying Tony Robbins' name, uh, apologies. Uh, you know, I respect your model of the world. Just understand that information is beautiful and it help, it's helpful. And uh, you know, there's a lot of people out there who have done some things I'm not thrilled about, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their thoughts and ideas aren't beneficial if utilized and acted upon. So that's my little sidebar on that. If I say Tony Robbins' name and that pisses you off somehow. So um, you want to be looking for meeting the needs of love and connection. And you can do this through forgiveness. You want belongingness and you want it with yourself. So start with self-forgiveness. Contributing to your own self-acceptance and understanding that in order to build the skills and the characteristics within someone that loves themselves is by trusting yourself. And how do you learn to trust yourself? By following through on the things you tell yourself you're going to do. That's how we build trust and love with other humans, right? They say they're going to feed us when we're little babies and then they feed us and they hold us and they cradle us and they say, goo, goo, ga, ga. And they, you know, you know, play little piggies with our toes and we, we grow love. We don't know what the hell love is when we're freaking three month old, but we have that feeling of, of safety and comfort that comes from having that person around us. And as we get older, the word love gets attached to how we're acting and behaving. But I've got a three, four and a five year old niece and nephews. If I asked them to define love, uh, who knows what kind of response I would get? If I asked you to define love, who knows what kind of response I would get? But to me, it's always rooted in trust. So if you say you're going to do something, then do it. I've had some issues lately with sleeping in a little bit long. And, you know, today I didn't get up till 1030, but I also didn't go to bed till 230 because I was up working. So it's like, okay, just accept the fact that I'm going to get my eight hours of sleep. And if I don't go to bed till 230, stop setting an alarm for 830 and then just being tired and laying back down or just get up, drink some coffee and suffer through some a little bit of the tiredness. But I'm losing trust points with myself when I set an alarm for 830 and then I hit snooze for 20 minutes and then just turn it off and then wall around in bed. I should have committed to the 1030 
before I went to sleep or I should have committed to the 8.30. But there can't be this wishy-washiness because it's going to create a lack of trust and doubt within myself. It's very, it's, it's very interesting. It's like the driplets of water going through the crack of a rock. If it does it long enough, it will split that rock. When you lose levels of trust with yourself over the course of a long period of time, it begins to split you into two. Right, we have this. We have these two different parts: the part that wants to be hardworking, and you know, my brain is firing on all cylinders at one thirty in the morning. I am ready to rock and roll. So if that's what I'm going to do, then just commit to it and be okay with the fact that some mornings I don't get up till ten thirty. But that's the only way I can get my seven or eight hours of sleep is by doing it that way. So self forgiveness starts with trust, and trust starts with following through with what you tell yourself you're going to do. And then you can begin to extend forgiveness to others. There's going to be other people out there who need to forgive you for some of the things you've done. And there's some episodes I have about forgiveness, about when people say, I'm going to forgive you, but then yet their their words and their body language and their tone says, I still haven't forgiven you. Either forgive somebody or don't forgive somebody. But playing that middle ground where you say you've forgiven them, but then you act completely differently than somebody who would actually have forgiven them is asinine. If there still needs to be a conversation to have, then have that conversation. But don't promise somebody that you've forgiven them and then still treat them like you haven't. Number three, changing the way you talk about yourself. We talk about this all the time. Automatic negative thoughts create negative self-talk, and there are messages in the negative self-talk. This is something I've been applying to my live speeches more and more lately is this idea of that there is a positive message behind sinister self-talk. There is a positive message behind your sinister self-talk. I want to encourage you to replace negative self-talk with positive affirmations by fostering your self-esteem and addressing this this need for loving and connection and belonging within yourself. That's a little bit of Maslow, Robbins, and Dilts all up in that little statement. What's most important isn't for you to be able to start practicing the positive self-talk. It's going to be following through on the things you tell yourself you're going to do. I woke up with some negative self-talk today because I could have just gotten up at 8.30 instead of 10.30. I'd be two hours further ahead than I am currently. But it is what it is. So tomorrow, I have an opportunity to do it differently. Set the alarm, go to bed. You know what? Just make myself shut it down at 1 a.m. or midnight. And then I could be getting up with my eight hours of sleep. Make a choice and follow through with it. And that will help you with your negative self-talk. I promise you it will. And yes, positive affirmations will foster your self-esteem, but you want to be reflecting on your inner dialogue, right? It's extremely important to have mindful reflection on your thoughts, right? Your beliefs and your values are going to pour out through your self-talk. So are you being mindful and reflecting on your thoughts, and the way you're talking to yourself. And what is it you're talking about? I recently um, listened to a book. Let me see if I can pull it up on my Audible. Um, Let's see. Ooh, I've gotten 500 steps pacing back and forth while doing this podcast. That's pretty cool. Um, Listening to the 12-week year right now. But where is that book? It is called The Space Within, Finding Your Way Back Home by Michael Neal. And he did a really cool one. I think it's also called The Inside Out Revolution. Big fan of both of those books. So Finding Your Way Back Home by Michael Neal. 
and uh, The Space Within, Finding Your Way Back Home, Michael Neal, N-E-I-L-L, if you're interested in finding that, um, or just simply type in Finding Your Way Back Home, and you'll probably be able to locate that, The Space Within, and it's about this the space within yourself. And I listened to that book back and forth twice uh, on 1.5 while I was going to Birmingham the other day for that CRSS graduation, and it was just fascinating how listening to that book twice has literally change the way of what I think about when I first wake up. And I talked about this in many, many episodes ago, I think like the first 20, about having like a gratitude list or something next to your bed so when you first wake up, you can focus your mind on what you're grateful for or what you're happy about what you did yesterday or what you plan on doing today. Anything to snap yourself out of that negative self-talk. But in order to achieve that, you have to be reflecting upon those thoughts to even realize that you're, you're spiraling yourself down that negative negative hole. There has to be a level of self-reflection. In my coaching, I call it an after-action report. Are you going back and are you listening or to what you've said? Are you going back and reading over what you've written? Um, you know, it's one thing to journal and then just never go back and look at it again. It's a whole nother thing to actually journal and then go back and reread over that stuff a few weeks later to see where your growth and where your progression has been. That will absolutely help with your internal dialogue. And then we got to be looking at our language choices. I really want you to understand that your words shape your reality and your self-perception of yourself. But your words don't actually describe what's happening externally from you. It is your attempt, your brain's feeble little attempt to place words upon something that it's experienced, but it's going to miss out on so much more. So your words will shape your reality and your self-perception. And at the same time, they're going to be de- they're going to be distorted through all get out, and you're going to delete important pieces of information, or you're going to generalize certain things about yourself. It is very, very worth your while to understand that the growth mindset is going to lead you to to seeing and experiencing the shifts in your language patterns, but your language patterns matter. I talk about that so much on this show that I feel like you are unconsciously being directed towards these shifts without me even saying do it this way or do it that way, just simply because of the way I word my sentences. You can be changing your own reality and self-perception by how you shift your your sentences. Look for these three key areas. Um, are your sentences based off of impossibility or possibility? Are they based off of who you used to be or who you're seeking to be? And do you yes and things or do you no but things? That's very key. You know, a lot of people are like, but, well, then you just negated everything the other person said. You could just simply say yes and, and it's not necessarily that you're agreeing with everything that they said, but you're at least agreeing with the fact that they have a right to say it. When it comes to impossibility versus possibility, I can't do that versus I don't know how to do that yet is a completely different sentence. Completely different sentence. Um, I was just sort of whipping these up off the top of my head, so I forgot what number two was, but what I would say is toward versus away was probably the energy I wanted to use around that one. Are you trying to get away from a person you don't want to be, or are you trying to move toward the person you want to be? So possibility versus impossibility, toward versus away, very, very, very important. And then, um, my goodness, my brain has just totally lost it right there. So anyways, I won't... Hit rewind real fast and go back and listen. <laughs> You'll be able to see.
see what I said. Um, but yes, toward versus away, possibility versus impossibility. And then just, you know, are your sentences positive versus versus uh, negative? Um, yep. Just rewind. My brain just totally lost it there. And we're going to keep moving forward. Number four, embracing vulnerability. All right. Understand that vulnerability is a strength. I want you to I want you to really embrace this ability to have deeper connections with others and a stronger sense of self by addressing the human needs for love and for connection and for belongingness. Right? It can be very difficult to share with other people. And let's go back to what I just stumbled upon, right? That toward versus away. A lot of us have that I would I don't want to be like that version of myself anymore. And we want to move toward this version of ourselves, but it can be very vulnerable to share that with other people because if they're not the best listener and they're the one, they're the kind of person who's just waiting for you to stop talking so that they can start talking, they might throw out their judgments, their opinions, their beliefs about you, and it may not benefit you. So make sure that you know who you're sharing with and whether there's somebody who will actually just listen to you and, and allow you to share, or are they going to be somebody who tries to implement their thought processes and their belief systems about you upon you, right? I would love to be of the possibility mindset and the language patterns, but there's a lot of people out there who start off their sentences with the word no. They already come into the conversation with an impossibility mindset. Probably not the best person to share my dreams and desires with if they are coming at it with a nope, that's not going to be possible because of all of this. Looking back at the way that Disney, uh, the old school Disney, uh, used to have people brainstorm, there was the dreamer, there was the uh, realist, and then there was the pessimist. And I don't necessarily want to be sharing my dreams and my desires with a realist or a pessimist. I more than likely want to share my dreams with somebody who's also a dreamer. And then later on, when I go to implement it, that's when I might want to go talk to the realist. Or if I want to prepare myself for all the different ways that it could go sideways, that's my, when, I, when I might go out and find the pessimist. Um, it's all about what stage of the development you're in. The pessimist and the realist can be extremely beneficial when it comes to taking action on things because they will help you see potential issues in the future. But when I'm in dreamer stage, I do not want anybody squashing my dreams. I just don't. The world will have no problem doing it for me. (laughs) The last thing I need to do is mute myself as well. I want you to overcome fear of judgment and realize that uh, fear is inevitable. Courage isn't the absence of fear. It is moving through something regardless of the fear. Judgment is going to happen. There are going to be people who you say you want to get sober to. There are going to be people, I'm going to make massive changes in my life. And they're like, sure, this is like the 11th time you've said it. It's your sixth rehab center. Yep, sure, you're going to be awesome. Way to go. That's why I might go talk to the dreamer. Uh, judgment tends to come from the pessimists, um, and certainly uh, a certain amount from the realists. Uh, dreamers don't tend to judge because they also like to dream. So go find the dreamer, discuss things with a growth mindset, understanding that there is a need for significance and self-actualization in everything that we do, and share your stories and your feelings with those that you can trust them with. Um, one of my clients a long time ago, I was just like, you know what, you might want to stop externally processing things to your parents because they don't seem to be able to let go of the things that you've said to them, even though that was who you were then. And now 30 days later, you don't feel that way anymore. 
you've got to be mindful that oftentimes your parents are not the people you should be sharing things with because they remember wiping your ass and you throwing a temper tantrum in Walmart because you wouldn't get a Kit Kat bar when you were six. They have way too much history with you. They can be certainly somebody that you are vulnerable and you share deep things with. I'm not saying don't do that. Just understand that you may not be getting the most unbiased ear when you turn to people who've known you for the longest. Because they'll be like, oh, I know all about you. Uh, No, you don't really, because I barely know all about me. But you have noticed patterns, and I can change patterns. But if you're holding on to my previous patterns and unable to see my new patterns, you may not be benefiting me. So if somebody's judging you based off of old patterns and not experiencing your new patterns, then you may want to go discover somebody who's more of a dreamer and can get on board with that. And if you're the realist or the pessimist, it might actually benefit you a lot to go talk to a dreamer and be able to expand beyond what you think that you're capable of. Honestly, learning from vulnerable experiences, right? Moments of vulnerability can be profound. They're amazing learning opportunities. I rarely have clients come back to me and say, man, you know, going up to my spouse or going up to my kids and talking about that topic in a vulnerable, open way didn't help, right? Very rarely. And I mean, the first time may not necessarily be the change that you want to see, but if you keep going back, Keep going back slowly but surely. Right? You can't expect somebody to completely shift just because you're out there going to a 30-day rehab or because you read a book. They are still experiencing their life the way they've been experiencing their life. But looking back at these profound vulnerable experiences that I've had that I've encouraged others to go have. When you go back to that well and you keep tapping into that resource, eventually you will see the changes. And if you don't, right, if they want to hold on to their judgments, go back up to bullet point number two, then it might be time to go find somebody else to have vulnerable experiences with. So number four, embracing the vulnerable. Number three, changing the way you talk about yourself. Number two, forgiving yourself and others. And number one, not letting the past suffering dictate your present desires or self-worth. Number five, cultivate a positive support network. Obviously, I've created the tribe. Um, I created this podcast so that there would be a positive support network. You might find them at 12-step facilitation meetings, at Refuge Recovery, Dharma Recovery, Smart Recovery, Young People in Recovery. Uh, There's a ton of them. Those are just the ones that I have direct influence uh, or have been associated with. The importance of a supportive relationship, it, it cannot be understated. Surrounding yourself with positive influence that fulfill your need for love and belongingness extremely important. Seek support from others and also offer support to others. That's one of the best things that comes from these addiction recovery meetings is that we can encourage mutual support within the sobriety community. We can highlight how we're changing. We can uh, shine a light on areas we can begin to put more focus on changing. We want to have that sort of interdependence without it being codependent. That codependency is when you need somebody else to like you or say nice things to you or do something nice for you so you feel accepted and loved by them. That interdependence is where you can be independent when you're away from them, but when you're around them, you feel and receive and offer that mutual support. This is why meetings can be so great. If you go to one and it doesn't vibe with you, go to others. Try some online. Try some in person. I went to Celebrate Recovery. I'm not necessarily big into Jesus or the Bible, but I went and I loved it. 
the singing and the encouragement, it was awesome. There was one person there that I just, he said rude things to me and I just never understood it. And you know what? When I found refuge or no, when I found Dharma, recovery Dharma, I was more than happy to shift back over to that refuge Dharma, you know, kind of Buddhist where I meditate at the beginning. I always enjoyed that more, but I enjoyed Celebrate Recovery and there is one near my house. I'm down to go back and try it. Try lots of different various support groups. I didn't stop going to celebrate because of that one rude guy. I just never went up and talked to him again. And then also, uh, when you're cultivating a positive support network, understand that you're going to be navigating a subjective perspective. What is the word? Subjective perspective with this word, toxic relationships. Are they toxic? Are they not toxic? It's subjective to your perspective. Um, there are people in my life that uh, that others have said, you know what, that person's toxic. You should you should need to let them go. I also know how to compartmentalize and draw healthy boundaries, and I don't necessarily have to release people just because the perception by others is that that they are toxic. I decided that person's toxic. Maybe they're just a challenger, challenging my previous uh, held misconceptions about them or of people similar to them, whatever it might be. I don't see people as villains in my life. I see them as challengers. So it's hard to see somebody as a toxic entity in my life when I just when I choose to actively experience people as challengers. And whether I change my mind based off of that person's in influence or I just simply take whatever they said with a grain of salt, it's my determination and choice. You're going to need to figure out ways to manage and move away from relationships that hinder your sobriety. Yes. But there's also a growth mindset and a need for growth when, you know, you may have people in your family you cannot get away from who aren't necessarily the most positive influence and have the best impact on your early sobriety or a great change you want to make in your life. But again, if they're being the realist or the pessimist, you get to choose to go off and spend more time with the dreamers and to limit the amount of time that you're with that mom or dad or sibling who just rubs you the wrong way. People are who they are. Not everybody wants to change. You have to decide to change who's around you then. Number six, setting and achieving personal goals. I want you to identify and set realistic goals. We talked about this when it goes to intensity versus consistency. I mean, yes. Do we want to change 30 things about ourselves? Probably. I mean, hell, go freaking turn on Reels or TikTok for 20 minutes. and You'll probably come up with another 30 things you want to change because of what other people are telling you you need to change or what you perceive their life being because they have this thing. Set realistic goals, right? I want you to align your goals with your values. Do you know what your values are? Go Google a values list and see what the values are. Come up with your top 10 that matter to you and then see if your life is actually living through those lens of those values, right? We're looking for certainty and growth in our lives and you can find no nothing more stable in you than how you value things. Now, of course, your values will shift and change as you go from being an addict into sobriety and recovery. But if you've always valued freedom or independence or common sense, those are the things you're going to be valuing in your sobriety and recovery just as much as you ever did when you were an addict. Your values tend to, I'm not saying that they don't morph. I'm not saying that they don't evolve. But at the root, like I very much, freedom and independence are very important things to me. And in a relationship, I have to understand that I've got to let go of some of that desire for freedom and independence, but also creating a healthy boundary where I can still go to concerts on my own if if 
Jennifer doesn't want to go. She may not necessarily enjoy all the bands that I like, but I am absolutely going to make sure that I still go see the bands I want to go see. Also making time to go see bands that she would like to go see. It's really important that you understand your values and then there's an ebb and flow to that. And you set realistic goals based upon these values. Breaking down your goals into manageable steps is another very important criteria. When people go to make massive change and they want to be super intense, they're throwing all of these new things, right? I'm going to walk 10,000 steps. I'm going to bike five miles a day. I'm going to run three miles a day. I'm going to swim four miles a day. And I'm only going to eat avocados under a, under a pale blue moon, right? That's just too much stuff. And there's and what are your manageable steps on that? You, all that crap I just rattled off is going to take like five hours a day. But I've heard clients say similar things to me. I'm like you're going to magically pop five hours into your life because you already have a full schedule. You already have a lot going on. So where can we begin to reel back certain activities to buy ourselves back some time to then go create this life that we desire? And we do this by creating manageable steps. What's one thing I can do today to walk? If if you've never walked 10,000 steps in your life, or at least in a long, long, long time. And you're lucky if you're getting a thousand a day. As your coach, I would never say go out and walk ten thousand steps today. If all you did yesterday was a thousand, we start to move you up a hundred, two fifty, five hundred steps. So that by the end of the month, you're at ten thousand, and you've done it at such a pace that your your body and your mind and your spirit were able to create the time for you to do that. It works with every other habit that you're looking to change or create within yourself. You want to read more at night. Where can you start finding five minutes to sit down with a book? You want to start flossing? Where can you slide flossing in between your nighttime routine? You want to stop watching so much TV or staring so much at your phone? What's going to be a new thing you're going to do with that time? Push-ups? Jumping jacks? You know, reading the dictionary? I don't know. But it's got to be manageable steps. And then we want to celebrate the milestones. Recently got one of my clients to do this. Because we had talked about how when I first got sober, every Friday was my celebration. Every Friday, because I got sober on a Friday, so every Friday was my celebration. I worked Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Saturday afternoon, I get out of work. I would go off and do something active outside. Sundays, I would go and do something active. I'd do something outside or clean my room, whatever I did. Monday started up all my week again. Monday morning was, a, was an alcohol awareness class. Monday night was a relapse prevention class. Um, Monday or Tuesday would be my therapist. Tuesday was an off day of going up to the hospital. Wednesday would be an alcohol awareness class at night. And then my therapy session would usually be before that. And so I started going and laying out and getting sun at this park that was within a walking distance of the hospital. You know, I'd gone back to work that Wednesday morning. Thursday was more work. Friday was my celebration. And I'd get myself a little cupcake or a little cookie or something to just sort of celebrate it. Let that little child within come out. Celebrate your milestones. In the tribe, we do little uh, confetti memes or we set off the confetti on the iPhone when somebody does something cool. It's like, oh, you get confetti, you get confetti, everybody gets confetti, right? When I first started speaking on stage many years ago, uh, one of the things I would say to people was I would say something about my sobriety and recovery because hands down, they would applaud. So I'd come out there with my opening story and then through and then after the story was done, 
I would say, you know, here I am now four years sober and in long-term recovery from drug and alcohol addiction and people would applaud. And I would, my next line, as soon as they were done applauding would be, everybody should wake up in the morning to applause. And then they would all laugh and it would create this emotional connection with them. It would get the applause to me right now. There's an emotional connection. Now they've applauded me. I get to calm down because I get super excited on stage and I talk even faster than I am now. And it would just bond us. And then the rest of the speech would go so smoothly because when I talked about my trials and tribulations and, and my you know prevailing over problems, all of a sudden people realized I'd been through some stuff and I was able to connect with them better. And it's those little milestones that we want to celebrate ourselves. I want you to wake up every day to applause. And if you can go on YouTube and find an applause video, then play it or give yourself confetti or start doing the confetti things with your friends, celebrate milestones. It will boost your self-esteem. It allows you to have this sense of achievement. And number seven, get you out of here on this. All right, I want you to wrap all of this up by learning to believe in yourself. Now, we talked about trusting yourself up there um, in number two and three, when we talked about forgiving yourself and changing the way you talk about yourself. Um, It's the belief in yourself. As you go to make changes, your beliefs, and this really is the one that ties them all together, right? If we're looking at my seven powerful principles, this would be the one where we're tenacious every single day, seeking to be the better version of ourselves. Believing in yourself is going to change everything about the way you perceive yourself, you see yourself, you talk about yourself, the goals you'll set for yourself, how you begin to step into vulnerable conversations with people in your networks, how you're able to uh, ultimately forgive yourself and let go of the past. It's going to come from this believing in yourself, for realizing that you're not who you were, you're who you are, choose to be today. Whether you're at that setting goals place or you're looking to let go of your past, forgiving yourself, changing the way you talk about yourself, embracing your vulnerability, uh, cultivating a positive support network or setting and achieving personal goals, all of these, you follow these six and this will lead you to the path of being tenacious, of stepping up for yourself every single day and believing in yourself. No one will ever believe in you as much as you can believe in you. And you might need other people to believe in you more than you believe in yourself at the beginning, but your ultimate goal is to foster a belief in yourself that supersedes everybody else's belief in you. You know, in my College Success Habits podcast, or maybe it was this one, I had mentioned that since 2012, we have created more information than the human species had previously created up to the year 2012. And so in 11 years, we've created more information than had previously been created in the thousands upon thousands of years that the human species has been around. And one of the powerful things that I think came from that was that we have all of this information. We have all of these mechanisms to learn and to do things. And if we don't take action on those, we don't actually do something with the information, then it's nothing then it means nothing. Knowledge is not power. And whoever said it forgot the back part of that sentence. That knowledge, in fact, I don't even know if it's the back part of this sentence. Let's just completely negate that sentence. Knowledge is not power. Action from knowledge is power. Believing in yourself comes from taking action, from being tenacious, from deciding right now today that you are not going to let 
your past suffering, your traumas, your your patterns, your habits, the way things have always been to create your today. Yes, it may be difficult to drive past that gas station you used to pick up booze or kratom or you know uh, marijuana. You know, at it may be difficult to cut people off who are toxic or who used to be uh, dealers of yours or you know stop talking to friends or family members who drag you down. I'm not saying any of this is necessarily going to be easy, but it's your choice to do it today or suffer the consequences of being the same version of yourself you were yesterday that you already told me you're sick and tired of. Believe in yourself. Foster the ability to believe in yourself. It may take a long time. It may take a short time. In my early stages of sobriety, what I remember the most is that I just refused to ever feel hungover again. And I knew one wasn't ever going to happen for me. I knew it wasn't. I didn't even understand the idea around one. No. You start consuming to black yourself out. And if you're not that way, and it's just a small little bit that's just slowly poisoning your body, then you need to come up with your own visual interpretation of it. What is a life that you'll have for yourself if you stop letting just that little bit of poison into your system? There was an old Lifetime movie I remember from like the 80s where this mom was pouring pine salt into her daughter's soup to constantly keep her sick because she wanted to constantly be taking care of her daughter. And it was only like a little capful of pine salt um, slowly integrated into her soup every single day, but it caused her daughter to be sick. And I think there was even a law and order about this. You've probably seen this plot line somewhere before. Just a capful. So yeah, you could be like me and chug a whole bottle of pine salt day after day after day after day. Certainly that will kill you much quicker. Or you could just be drinking little capfuls of poison every single day. But either way, it's poison. Either way, you want to create a life where that stuff isn't what you need in the moment to be able to get to where you want to be. It could be a process addiction that you have. It could be a substance use addiction that you have. But you have to believe in yourself. That you are stronger than whatever that external thing is. You are stronger than that memory of suffering and trauma from your childhood. You are stronger. You have shown strength in so many areas of your life. Show strength here. Find an area in your life where you have shown strength. And then just choose to take that strength that you showed there and bring it over to your sobriety and your recovery. There are lists after lists and miles and miles and miles of stories where people have benefited and changed their lives in in ways that they never could have imagined possible simply by stepping into sobriety on that first day and saying, you know what, I don't know where all this is going, but I know that this is the best path for me. And each day forging ahead, regardless of the cravings, regardless of the sadness, regardless of the negative, undesirable emotions, we say no. Today is the day I choose to change. Today is the day I choose to behave differently in this circumstance than I would have previously behaved. Believing in yourself comes from taking all of these actions. Believing in yourself is something that I want for you more than I want anything for you. Because it's when you believe in yourself that all these other things actually seem possible for you. I can inspire you but I can't motivate you. You have to choose to take action. You have to choose to put in your own work. 
self-sustained and self-maintained is how we make changes. Because if we're always looking for somebody else to fuel our change, as soon as that person doesn't give us the feedback or the acceptance or the love or the connection that we desired, we could just very easily go back. The change you seek comes from within. I know it sounds cliche, but it's true and it starts with you. All right, my friends, as always, if you would like to learn neurolinguistic programming from me, if you would like to know how to get one-on-one coaching or join the tribe so that you could have some group coaching, if you would like to know how to be more involved with the ecosystem of sobriety and recovery I have created over here, go to jessemogul.com slash askme, click on the coaching button or click on the NLP button, fill out the form, let me know that you're out there. I will reach back out, we will set up a call, and we will see what we can do for you. As always, my friends, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives when we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine and Robert. Glow on. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. 